0: What is up, fools? This is the QTR Podcast. Today is July 19th, 2020. Before we get started today, I want to shout out my patrons. They are the people who make this podcast possible. I appreciate them very much. As I tweeted today, a lot of you guys have come to me and said, Hey, the economy is a little banged up right now. Uh, I have to delete my pledge or I have to reconsider. Hey, listen, I appreciate any amount for any duration if you guys are patrons. It means a lot to me. I'm consistently humbled by it, and uh, I wish you the best if that is the case. So I just want to put that out there as a blanket statement for those people that have gotten in touch with me over the last couple of weeks. All right, first and foremost, I want to shout out my exclusive gold and silver providers over at JM Bullion. Ladies and gentlemen, JM Bullion is the only place that I buy my gold and silver Jam Bullion has been around for a decade now. They have done over $3 billion in sales, and you don't do that without getting a fantastic reputation, which they have earned rightfully over the last decade. They have a wonderful selection of inventory. They turn around my orders very quickly. They're one of the better gold and silver bullion dealers that I have worked with. Actually, they're the best gold and silver de- bullion dealer that I have worked with, um, and uh, I love their service. QTR podcast listeners have their own saleswoman exclusively at JM Bullion. That's Kathy, K-A-T-H-Y, at jmbullion.com. If you shoot her an email, tell her QTR sent you. Tell her you want free shipping. Tell her you want $5 off your order. She should be able to work with you. She is uh, wonderful, and the people at JM Bullion are wonderful. I appreciate your continued support, you guys. This podcast is also brought to you by my dear friend Pete Hedges over at The Trader's Path. The Trader's Path is celebrating its one-year anniversary. A year ago, Pete called me up and said, listen, I'm trying to start a trading service, a day trading community for the people that have been disillusioned with other day trading communities and other investing services, myself included. Pete got tired of the nonsense from other trading communities where they he basically thought they were front-running his trades. They were just taking his money. They didn't care about him. So instead of leaving and throwing a fit, he said, I'm just going to start my own service. And that is what the Trader's Path is. They offer a live stream. They offer a daily trading list, at the their daily watch list. They offer investor education. They trade in all kinds of markets, red, blue, up markets, down markets, sideways markets, markets. And they're just a great community of people. Pete's an honest guy running this business. They're good people to surround yourself with if you are a day trader and you're constantly looking for ideas or to bounce ideas off of other people. Check out my buddy Pete over at The Trader's Path. The link is in the podcast description. This podcast is also brought to you by the Sanglucci Steam Room. The Sanglucci Steam Room is a one-of-a-kind piece of software that's used to track big money coming into the illiquid options market. Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus have been doing this for a decade now. They are the best in the business at it. Sang Lucci made himself a seven-figure trader using these strategies and his 3LT playbook, which is also available in the podcast description. But the Steam Room was the first of its kind to track unusual options activity and order flow that looks suspicious that you may want to pay attention to that may mean something in the equities market. These guys have been constantly evolving their software for the last 10 years. And actually, Charlie Bathgate just told me a couple weeks ago they are making even further iterations to it now. It's really a nice, aesthetically pleasing piece of software to check out. It can be worth its weight in gold. You can pay for it if you don't trade like a herb uh, relatively quickly. And uh, it is the best real-time way to get information on unusual options activity out there. Hands down, there's nothing else like the Sangluchi Steam Room. You could check that out in the podcast description. This podcast is also brought to you by my friends at Corvus Gold, my friends at Traders for a Cause, Ken R., Chris Bede, Nicholas Parks, Matthew Zimmer, Jay Mintzmeyer, Russ Valenti, my homeboy Crichton Titus, and some of my latest patrons, Adam Countryman. What's going on, brother? Margo Cosia, I appreciate you, Derek. And Andrew Harrington, thanks for checking in. Jameel Akhtar and Aaron Morkin, I appreciate you guys very much. Thank you so much for signing up to become patrons. Uh, Jonathan Neiman, Matthew Smith, Jill, Susan, and Phantom Dills. And how about some people that have been patrons of the QTR podcast for a while, like Alexander Kahane, thank you so much. Brendan Egan, Uh, my friend Max Mulvihill, of course, on the list. Dylan is in the house. Kevin Sullivan. Carson and Anthony, I appreciate you. Bruno Gallo, thank you for your continued support, as well as let's throw it back to February 2019 where Ivan Johnson signed up. Thank you, Ivan. And Wednesday, 8 p.m. is still in the house, along with my friend David and the Tesla Q podcast. All right, with that being said, there's two rules for today's podcast. The first is I do recommend a two-drink minimum. Finally, this podcast is not investment advice. Life advice We are just approaching subjects with an open mind. We're just having a discussion. I have no licenses, no registrations. Do your research elsewhere. I don't even recommend that you listen to this podcast. Folks, I don't even know how many times I have to say it. Not investment advice. Do your research elsewhere. With that being said, let's get started. All right, he hasn't been back on the podcast for a while now, though, uh... He may have been enduring some pain here over the last few months. We're going to have to ask him about it. I have Mr. Mark Spiegel of Stanfield Capital on the line today. Mark Spiegel, how are you today, my friend? What's going on?
1: Good, man. It's, it's great to be back. We, we, I haven't been on in a few months, I think, right? We have a lot of catching up to do here,
0: right? I know. It's been a little while, actually. I'm not sure when the last appearance was, but it, it had to be pre-coronavirus, definitely.
1: Did your well, I think it was maybe January? Did your other guest find Hitler yet? By the way, I've been wondering.
0: I haven't checked in with him since uh, since that podcast. No, I haven't. Okay, all right. But he is—he's writing another book. You're talking about Gerard Williams. Okay, yeah.
1: What's the next book? Who's he looking for now? Alexander the Great? He's no, like, he's
0: still looking he's for. Still he's still alive he's, in
1: Egypt. What? Hey, Sorry.
0: there's there's a hey there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence about the uh, Hitler in Argentina thing.
1: Yeah yeah boys from brazil that's probably the documentary he's referring to right what do you mean never mind that was a joke that movie's before your time (laughs) (laughs) it's a great movie by the way the boys from brazil with uh with gregory peck as as dr mangala and uh i forget who was hunting him down but it was terrific film by the way anyway
0: you should have listened to gerard williams uh, podcast it's actually pretty interesting
1: I will uh, go back and find it as soon as I'm trapped on a deserted island and,
0: <laughs>
1: that's and like, listen to all other 999 of your podcasts.
0: That's like most of my listeners. It's just, you know, <laughs> if it happens to be on in the background and you are completely immobilized, maybe they'll listen. You know that, uh, what movie is it, um, Clockwork Orange, where they sit the guy down and they yeah. pry his eyes open? The to, to him of, of Violence. Yeah, yeah that's basically what my listeners look like at any given moment <laughs> but actually there was like a huge Nazi community in Argentina after wor- is- after World War II they just turned up there there were like tens of thousands of them in Argentina and so it's not it's not like a crazy totally conspiratorial type angle to the story like it would actually make sense if it was true it's just and and people still, they, you know, the Russians claimed that they had found Hitler's skull, I think a couple of decades ago, and it turns out that that wasn't it. They put it through genetic testing. And so I don't think they've turned up the remains yet either. So, you know, it's not it's not totally unfeasible.
1: Well, it is true about the Nazis down there, because the government was very friendly to Nazis, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I, I, somehow I thought that they found his remains in the bunker, but what the hell at this point how old would the dude be like well over a hundred right so well he's
0: not saying he's alive see this is what the problem is with people and conspiracy theories Is like you don't even know what we're alleging and you're <laughs> and you're dissing it. this is the same thing that like you know we used to try to talk to somebody about building seven they're like I saw the fucking planes hit the buildings there's two planes two buildings came down it's like dude nobody's even talking about those two buildings and in this case all he was saying was that was that hitler had escaped there that he basically faked his own death in germany and that he died in argentina instead of dying in germany
1: okay it's 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 possible um yeah all right uh well i i'll concede to you that i don't really know what happened to hitler because i wasn't born yet at the time
0: there you go all right so this is a if you're keeping score on this podcast it's one nothing me so far (laughs) (laughs) so listen we got a lot to talk about dude I uh, I did something different today, and I solicited questions from some Tesla bulls that I know who are not idiots either, and uh, they gave me some questions, and I'm looking forward to asking you about them, but how are you doing in general first?
1: Yeah, no, we're okay. Um, yeah, I mean, look, our, obviously the Tesla position has been terrible for us, but you know, I reduced it substantially in January, and... You know, we, we've got a number of sort of these value micro cap longs, which have been working. Um, so they, they more than offset Tesla. What hurt us overall, I mean, we're down a single digit percentage this year, is, is our quote unquote hedge has been a large uh, QQQ short position against roughly the value of our micro cap longs, because ah. I figured, OK, the micro cap longs are cheap. And what's the most overvalued index I can hedge it with in, in case this market recrashes? Well, that's QQ2. And of course, we could all figure out how that went. So, you know, bottom line, I'm not happy. I'm not happy to be down and not up. But let me put it this way. We're, we're down a hell of a lot less than Tesla is up this year. That's for sure. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, you picked the one index to hedge with that has gone to all-time highs.
1: Yes, that's why whenever I say hedge and I'm talking to somebody, I put those finger quotation marks around the word hedge. <laughs> it's like it's like the anti-hedge. It's like the performance extra. It's like an extra amount of juice to ruin your performance. It's not a hedge. But a- anyway. Um, right,
0: well, look, I'm, I'm going to let you pick. What do you want to talk first? You want to talk macro or you want to talk Tesla?
1: Whatever you want. Um, right, you know what? Let's start. Probably most people care more about what I think about Tesla than macro. So why don't we start? Tesla. And then, you know, if they have to go do other things, they can leave. All
0: right. So what's the thought process after the last year and what we've seen? Tesla's at, I don't know, somewhere around fifteen hundred dollars a share. And bulls could argue that basically Elon Musk has been using your nuts as a speed bag like a professional boxer over the last six months. What's your uh, what's your thoughts?
1: Well, look, it's not it's not my nuts. It's it's one position uh, among many, and I'm one tiny guy in a, in a large market. I mean, look, the bottom line is this. The stock has completely decoupled from reality. It's nothing but a trading sardine. Um, you know, if anyone who looks at facts about Tesla, they literally have not grown revenue since Q4 of 2018, right? And that's including the, the current quarter. That they're, well, the Q2 they're going to report and probably Q3. You know, so six, seven quarters... They haven't They haven't topped revenue from six, seven quarters ago. That's not a growth company. They've only maintained volume. And by the way, one of the guys, I think Tesla charts, threw up the other day that they haven't even grown average volume. I mean, average volume, despite massive price cutting, like continual massive price cutting pretty much every quarter, is still only averaging around 90000 a quarter for like the last, I don't know, four or five quarters. So it's, put everything else aside, every other feeling aside, whatever, it's not a growth stock, okay? And then the other thing I'll throw in, there, right now there's really only one competitive EV market in the whole world, and that's Europe. And by competitive, I mean one that gives you a lot of choices. And um, one of the guys in Europe, a fund manager, he's on Twitter as, as Fly4Dat, just this afternoon, he threw up a market share chart for Tesla, and it's gone from, of the EV market in Europe, it's gone from over 30%, to now around 11%. And by later this year, it's gonna be in the single digits because a bunch of more models are rolling out from Volkswagen and BMW. So no revenue growth for this company, no unit sales growth to speak of, not that it matters because all that should matter is revenue in a growth company, and sliding market share in any competitive market. And you know, t- Europe's a bellwether for competitive EV markets. I mean, China is gonna be extremely competitive by later this year because there's a whole bunch of stuff rolling out there, not from Tesla. The only one that's not gonna be super competitive, you know, at least for a while, is the US. I mean, there, are, there is some stuff coming out. Um, you know, Ford's coming out with the electric, you know, Mustang mach or whatever it's called. And, and, you know, in a couple of years, before Tesla has a truck, both GM and Ford will have probably really good electric pickup trucks. And, and of course, there's the Rivian. But, the, but my point is that in a competitive market, Tesla's market share slides into the toilet, and that's exactly what's happening in Europe, and that's what's going to happen to them worldwide. So there, there is, there's no growth anywhere in this company. So then you see a, a stock go from, you know, 300 to 17-something to at one point in, in three months this year, and you realize it's just completely decoupled from reality. It's, you know, it's Bitcoin. It's a trading sardine. So, you, you know, to have a logical conversation about the stock price is impossible— If it's, you know, the facts are the facts. All all I have are facts to show you,
0: you know. What do you say to people that say, well, doing the same thing and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. And it looks like the regulators. I'll tell
1: you what I say to them. Expecting Tesla to have hyper growth and take over the world. And it's going in the other direction is the definition
0: of insanity. But isn't there an argument that with the market cap as high as it is now, let's say regulators choose not to act. Let's say regulators choose to kind of leave them alone. And Elon Musk is this untouchable figure, which so far, unfortunately, seems to be the case. But let's say, hang on, let's say that that's the standard. At, at a $280 billion cap, doesn't he have the gusto to go out and acquire cash-generated businesses and, and essentially transform the entire business?
1: Okay, so um, a couple of things. To, to, to be clear, and, and then I'll answer that question, the reason I'm, I'm short Tesla, the reason I've been short Tesla for years now, is exactly what's happening now, which is, as EV competitors come into the market, uh, Tesla's share declines; its sales stall out, and it has continual pricing pressure on it. And all of that, exactly as I predicted, starting in twenty fourteen, is unfolding. I mean, just look at Europe, right? What I did not anticipate was a, was was a shareholder base that couldn't care less about facts like that, right? I mean, there's been no other growth stock in history that stopped growing and didn't collapse. <laughs> okay, so you know, to, to, to your to your question about Um, about, um, you know, regulators lay off Musk. The whole sort of, the whole fraud aspect of Musk and of of Tesla, and by the way, many of us uh, can can show documentation proving clear warranty accounting fraud from Tesla and very likely enough to have made the difference between profits and losses in the last three quarters. Like, this S&P 500 discussion wouldn't even be happening if they had honest accounting on, on their warranty provisioning. But putting that aside that's always only been, you know, sort of like the icing on the cake of what's essentially a, a, a growth story that will fall apart in an incredibly competitive, you know, capital-intensive industry, which is exactly what's happening to Tesla. Now, um, to, you know, to your, to your specific question about could he, you know, acquire, quote-unquote, real companies, yeah, he could. In the past, whenever that's happened. And the, the best example I can possibly think of is when AOL uh, bought Time Warner right at the top of the internet bubble, you know, with stock, it bought it. At that point, Time Warner was considered a collection of real assets. You know, it had it had all these magazines back when magazines meant something and broadcast and whatever. And And they did it. And the two of them collapsed together because all of a sudden AOL wasn't this, you know, sexy pie in the sky growth story. It was a bunch of you know, as a fucking media conglomerate, right? Um, so in theory, if Tesla did that, the same thing would happen, but look, who knows? I-, I don't know, I'll say this, if if Musk were smart, he would, you know, he would raise as much money as he could, and by the way, it's a question how much he could raise and how much of a discount, because right. th- there's there's no, let's call it real money investor, there's no fundamental investor you know who would put a nickel in this company? Probably at more than I don't know two hundred dollars a share what or something he, like that.
0: What if he? What if he goes out and raises? Let's say he raises fifty billion dollars. Nah, that's at, impossible. With he with convertible nah, preferreds that imply nah, an equity price of five hundred dollars a share. Nah, at five hundred,
1: he would never do that. He would never do that. Um, and I don't think he could raise fifty at five hundred either. Okay, um, do you
0: think there's a case though that that the company has? Really hit this escape velocity, though, no. where there is a certain amount of money that it could raise where it could write. It's, you know, the warranty provisions no. that it that are that are screwed up and, you know, it could acquire other businesses that generate cash. Oh, yes, for sure.
1: So here's what I was going to say. I mean,
0: there's, there's you know, no amount of money that you think that they could raise that would give them escape velocity as a growth story.
1: Well, OK, hold on a second. Um, first of all, anytime you have a fifteen hundred dollar stock. That, that's averaging, you know, 12 million shares a day, right? I, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about a massive amount of dollar trading volume, right? So it could be the biggest, you know, it could be Flying Turd Incorporated. And if you put in a decent discount, a bunch of head funds would buy it on an overnight deal and take advantage of that volume and just blow it all out in the next two days, right? And, and book the difference. So, you know, they could probably raise, I don't know how what are they doing in, in 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 daily dollar trading volume right now like
0: uh I'll tell you let's see so it's a lot too because I've actually had this discussion with another short seller about how this move just couldn't just be retail because of uh, how much
1: I'll money. tell you I'll tell you they're doing they're doing at least 15 billion dollars a day in trading volume right so they're doing right?
0: 10 yeah they're doing 10 million shares a day yeah. essentially yeah. at fifteen hundred dollars a share. So that's right. what, fifteen billion?
1: Fifteen billion. I had to make sure I wasn't. You gotta saying.
0: add one, two, three, zeros. Yeah, fifteen billion. Right. So they could they
1: could instantly probably raise, you know, three billion dollars at I don't know. I mean the stock is so volatile. I don't know what they would need. Maybe a fifteen percent discount or something. Right. And and pay off a reasonable part of their debt. And if that continued, what I'm saying is, if he sold a bunch of stock, he could pay off enough of the debt to take bankruptcy off the table and just put it in the in in, in the you know long gradual decline to you know a double digit stock price. You know, because if you don't have debt you're, and you have a lot of cash, you're you're not going to go bankrupt, right? So he could do that. I think what would keep him from doing that is he knows that the only thing. That keeps the stock where it is is a relatively limited float, right? I mean, you know, he's got twenty something percent, and the, and the other insiders have some, and then he's got, you know, Bailey Gifford. At least so far, has basically been a cult member who who won't sell any of it. So you basically got, you know, call it thirty percent that's going nowhere, right? And so, you know, with that restriction, it keeps the stock price up. You start you know throwing millions of more shares into the market all of a sudden you know there's supply so he could do things as far as buying a cash flow you know business I mean he's not gonna buy a a what what growth business is he gonna be able to buy every growth business is already you know an insane price here right and 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 has nothing to do with his company I mean could would he go I mean you know people say if he were smart he would have gone out and bought FCAU for whatever it was selling for 15 billion dollars but I don't know if that was would be smart either because that would probably collapse his stock at least in the past it would. I don't know what I don't know what happens with this guy.
0: Yeah, but if he know? goes out and acquires like a Ford or a General Motors or an FCAU that instantly gives him uh it gives him infrastructure to build. It gives him dealerships. It gives him, you know, it's, it gives him all the best practices that he doesn't have. <laughs> in the well, industry. but it also
1: but it also gives him everything he spent his whole life saying is bullshit. You know, um, franchise dealers and and gasoline
0: powered cars. Yeah, but will that matter? Because I mean, he came out and said, "Oh, we're going to build the alien dreadnought. We're going to build a factory based on automation." And now he's making cars in a tent, and nobody seems to give well, a shit.
1: Well, but, you, you know, that's a different issue. He came out – he keeps saying, oh, we're going to do these amazing, brilliant things, and then he doesn't get them done. That's different from saying we're going to buy this old line nuts and bolts company, right? So, you know, I mean, I I, I doubt he would do that, and, and if he did, typically it would collapse his stock. But, you know, who knows? I don't know.
0: I guess the the question is just – it, you know, Tesla Charts calls this stock the poster child for Zerp absurdity, which I, I like. And it is – the run-up here, whatever is causing it, is happening against a backdrop where – I don't know, Mark. I You know, it's been a couple of decades I've been looking at the market, and I don't think I've ever really seen – I mean, is this going to be like a traditional bubble, or are we just really in this long stretch where – you know, growth doesn't matter. I mean, you're talking about a $285 uh, billion not, dollar market cap. And, yeah, but that's and not really what, true. Right, but what are the forces that are going to bring that to reality? Oh, oh, right, yes, right, so right, so
1: maybe we're on the same page here. So you said we're in an environment where growth doesn't matter, you know, well, we for are. any other but, but for any other stock, I think it does matter. I That's mean, not
0: true. The, the market is laden with stocks that are not performing well, or they're just growing a little bit, and they're trading at massive price-to-sales multiples and well, massive PE multiples. But,
1: but look, I don't follow them intimately, but, but the, the whole leadership in this market are the fang stocks. Aren't those guys growing pretty big? I mean, growing, growing like double digits consistently?
0: Uh, that's a good question. I know Netflix is burning a shitload of cash. No, 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 no. I'm not
1: talking, we're talking about growth, right? I mean, Netflix, you know, as as many wise people have said, you know, if you want to short a stock, figure out what's driving it to crazy levels and short it just before that is about to change, right? Right. So Netflix got hit the other day because of subscriber growth. That was like the metric everybody cared about, right? And, you know, I, I don't know what the metric you know what people care about for Amazon or Microsoft or Apple, but whatever they are, I, I think they've been doing surprisingly well in this environment. In fact, that was the whole play. People are staying at home and, and doing that. The the amazing thing about Tesla is the metrics that people care about it's, have fallen apart, which are growth, market share, um, you know, sustainable profitability, which which, again, does not exist without The warranty stuff and without this and also without the sale of these emission credits, which completely will go away for them at some time next year. I mean, the only reason they can sell emission credits is, you know, OEMs. Well, primarily Fiat Chrysler, but I guess some from GM didn't have enough electric cars to meet the government mandates. They'll all have enough electric cars next year. Tesla will be like, hey, guys, want to buy your emission credits? And they'll be like, no, Alon, go fuck yourself. We have our own electric cars now. You can suck on those. And meanwhile, we're going to crush you because we're going to sell our cars at prices that, you know, put you on the ropes. What's that noise? I just heard a weird noise, like a drum uh, roll. I hit
0: I hit the desk by accident with my knee, but that's it. You hit the what? I, I hit the desk. I, like, I moved oh, into oh, the okay. desk by accident with my knee.
1: Yeah, so anyway, so what's going to happen is... You know, you're going to have like all these OEMs have great EVs coming out. I mean, anybody out there, by the way, who's who's a Tesla fanboy, look up the reviews of the Polestar 2, which just came out this week. I mean, they were universally great. And basically what it came down to as a summary was, yes, the Model 3 is a little bit quicker and a little bit sportier, mainly because it's lighter. But the Polestar 2 is a much nicer car and a, and a great electric car. And... You know, the vast majority of people in any segment are not looking for, you know, the plastic shittily built car that's, you know, three tenths of a second faster to 60. They're looking for the much nicer car. And this is what's going to happen. This already happened. By the way, you know, in the luxury EV segment worldwide, the Audi e-tron now outsells either the, you know, both, not combined, but either both, the, the Model S or the Model X. They've now lost that segment to just one model from Audi. And why is that? Yeah, the Audi doesn't quite have the range of the others, although the real-world range is actually very close. You know, it's like a 20-mile difference now in real-world range. But but it's a much nicer vehicle. It's solid. It's it's more luxurious. It's better built. It's quieter. And the vast majority of people, you know, don't care about leaky, you know, um, um, gull-wing doors and 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 don't care about, you know— saving a half second to 60 they want a really nice car for that kind of money so this is the same thing is going to happen to Tesla in the Model Y and the Model 3 segment right um, with all these competitors coming out I mean that's that's the bottom line but so far um, you know these numbers are already showing up in sales and market share the market just hasn't cared it's a, this is a brand new so what for, is for what's,
0: what's the market looking at though? Because a second ago you said, "Oh, the the numbers the numbers that people care about are right. coming I, I, down my is are coming I have no down." Idea. But they're they're obviously not the numbers that people care about if the stock keeps going up. Right, they were the numbers people cared
1: about. So what now, do people
0: care about now?
1: They don't seem to care about any numbers. <laughs> I
0: mean, so does they, it does it mean that that's time to reevaluate your thesis? No, it mean it means
1: that it means that um, if all the numbers are going against them that I, I think when it, I, I guess when it falls apart is when people are walking down the street and they see all the Polestar's and, you know, they see all the electric Audis and the electric BMWs and in Europe, you know, a massive number of electric VWs and, and all of that starts happening, you know, right now on the Polestar and in Q3 on the VWs and, and into Q4 with the BMW. So, you know, I, I guess these people visually, have to see what's going on because none of them read a financial statement. They don't know how to read a financial statement. They couldn't care less about the financial statement. And then, of course, by the way, you know, there is the fraud factor. And, you know, let me put it this way. I don't know any (laughs) high-profile fraudster who didn't go down eventually, right? They all get caught. They all go down. And, you know, they either blow themselves up or there's some ambitious prosecutor somewhere who's like, hey, I can make a reputation, I've got the case, I'm taking this guy down. I mean, Giuliani did it and, and um, Spitzer did it before, before he got taken down. And, you know, it goes, Thomas Dewey did it, right? It just goes back throughout history. So, you know, look, this guy now has a lot of enemies and a lot of red flags. And, but again, as I said, that's not the, that's not the primary basis. The primary basis here is it's a shitty business that's, that's essentially going in the wrong direction with a lot of competition coming. So, you know, this. look, it's a meaningful position for us now, but it's also enough that I'm not losing five minutes of sleep over it. You know, if, if I wake up at 4.30 to go to the bathroom and I look at the market and I see, oh, Tesla's up $50. I'm like, okay, you know, there's, there's a bunch of morons in China buying this because, you know, they're, they're gambling and, and they don't know how to read a financial statement any better than the Americans do, you know?
0: All right, so I got a list of questions here. Are you ready to tackle them or what? After all that, you got questions? All right, Well, shoot, that was ahead. just me talking to you. I just try oh, to play okay. devil's advocate with you in general because I you, right, know, to get some stuff uh, to thatch some information out of you, if I will. And, yeah. Uh, so I want to – and also, too, you know, I'm also very skeptical of the company and I really don't care for Elon Musk at all. And so I don't want to come off as completely biased, even though, of course, I am. Uh, but <laughs> –
1: by the but, way, I have a question is, for you.
0: Before, sure, go ahead.
1: Sure, go before we go into this, before I forget, you know, I've seen you tweet a few times about uh, Seed, Origin Agritech. Yeah. Now, I know nothing about that company, right. except I know that there's an extremely high probability that every single Chinese company listed in the U.S. Is, in one way or another is fraudulent because right. the guy's doing it, running these games, as Money Waters can tell you, You know, they're smart guys, and they see the Americans as patsies, and boom. So why do you tweet about that company in particular? I'm just curious. I mean, why do you—is that the one Chinese company you think that is not a scam of some kind?
0: Well, I think you're 100% right about being, uh, uh, you know, skeptical of all U.S.-listed China-based companies. Um, So I think that that's a a very good point. Uh, This is just a name that I followed for years because it was put onto my radar, like— and I just started to watch it, and I've just kind of been— Uh, You know, a long time ago, they started talking about the possibility of getting a GMO license with the Chinese government. And I've done a fair amount of due diligence into it. Uh, You know, I've been on a couple of their conference calls. Uh, I've seen that they have taken in some investments from Chinese state actors as well into the U.S. equity, I think, over the last year. And I think that there is a good probability that they wind up – I think they're close to the Chinese government – And I think there's a better probability than not, based on the other people that are investing and based on just keeping an eye on this company, that they will eventually wind up doing business with the Chinese government. And I just think it's a very low float stock. And I think it has the potential to rip if that is the case. And uh, and that's kind of what I'm holding out for on this. I'm not sure it's a name I'll be in. For, you know, the next five years, I'm not going to tuck it into an IRA, I don't think, but it's kind of a pure play on them getting uh, potentially getting a, this GMO li- license with the Chinese government, which I think is is a distinct possibility based on reading the tea leaves over the last three, four five years. And and I don't get the impression that it is overtly fraudulent because of their nature to not, you know, they, they're not super pumpy with their press releases. They're not putting PRs out. Uh, you know, every so often uh, they have a uh, they have a corporate uh, headquarters here in New Jersey as well in the U.S. So they do also do some business in the U.S. But I understand there's a lot of Chinese companies that do that as well. And I just don't get the impression from them that they are interested in a quick pump and dump or anything like like, that. There's a lot of other Chinese companies I look at and I see they pump and they dump very quickly or they're changing their business model constantly or whatever. And these guys have stayed relatively consistent and they're modest in the way that they communicate. And so I'm not saying that it's 100 percent legitimate, but I'm saying I think there's a better chance than not that the stock goes up from where it is now.
1: You're basically saying that regardless of whether the accounting is real or not, it could rip on some headlines, which is that's that's perfectly reasonable position. Um, Well, I don't have any
0: I don't have any reason to doubt the accounting because there's been. uh, Yeah, you do.
1: It's it's a mainland Chinese company listed in America. I I know nothing about this company, but I would be shocked. Right. I would be shocked that if they got this GMO license or whatever you think it is, whatever they make out of that is not going to cross the Pacific Ocean, that money to America. That's like 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 as a shareholder, you'll never see it.
0: Well, I'm, but, not, I'm but, not. I'm not necessarily saying that's the case. And again, I'm. I'm not saying I'm holding this stock for the next five, ten years. Okay, fine. Um, and I've also examined the financial statements and. It's not like they're making any wild verbose revenue claims or anything. You know, there's really there's nothing to uh, defraud investors with in the financials, in my opinion, because they're not bringing in any money. They're they're basically out there saying, you know, this is part of what okay. our business relies on. So, you know, okay, I, 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 you know, they they had when I started looking at it, they had like a thirteen million dollar market cap. I mean, it's not some massive company.
1: Okay, listen. Good luck with it. I was just curious. I'm not. I'm not looking to, to, to get on you with it because I haven't, I haven't done the work. I just figured mainland Chinese company, why does he think this this well, one is you, on? You know on the I'm other.
0: very critical of
1: Chinese companies yeah, as well. Yeah, I know, that's, very but crit- especially just- surprising. All right, listen, good, good luck with it. All right, all right, go ahead, ask me the Tesla questions.
0: All right, back to Tesla. First question, how much money have you lost for your LPs being short Tesla common equity or derivatives?
1: None of anybody's fucking business. You want to be one of my LPs? We'll talk about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, so that's question one dealt with swiftly. Question probably two, more money than the
1: person who asked that question will ever earn in their life.
0: I don't know about that because I know where that question came from, and I would push back on that. But that's okay, okay. I all right. Promise them right. anonymity. Uh, question number two: Why has Mark at no point in the last one year reassessed his thesis and placed his LP's capital on the right side of the trade?
1: Oh, I reassess my thesis every single day. I just gave you my thesis. Why is somebody long this company uh, who could look and see that there's been no growth since Q4 of 2018, uh, only, only unit sale growth maintained through continual price slashing and massive market share decline in Europe. Why haven't they reassessed their thesis? I have all the facts on my side. They have no facts on their side.
0: Yeah, but they have their P&L on their side, though. That's what they're going to say uh, So you're going to
1: stock price
0: bro me? Okay, listen. No, I'm not stock price broing you. No, no, no. I'm no, just listen, saying. Listen they-
1: a second. Here, here's how investing works, okay, in the stock market. <laughs> you, see a, you see a stock and you say, hey, the market is way underpricing that stock or the market is way overpricing that stock, right. and that's how you make money. Now, you could be right or wrong, but you take a position based on that assessment. My assessment is that this stock has gotten more and more and more and more and more overpriced, okay? To me, that's not a reason to remove the position other than, I mean, I certainly have reduced the position size because otherwise it would overwhelm the portfolio. So, you know, you have to make those adjustments, right. but because something becomes increasingly decoupled from reality, is not a reason to not have that position, but again, the flip side of that is, you know, when something is is as decoupled as this is, you know, we're at the point where you know, three hundred dollars is the same as five hundred, the same as eight hundred, the right. same as twelve hundred. You know, it's very hard. So you know, this bubble is going to burst. You don't know when. So, but do you, you know, know? I, I mean, my, my follow-up would be:
0: Do you know the bubble is going to burst with with just with the macro environment now, Mark? I mean, I,
1: this will not be this will not be the first bubble in history that did not burst. I guarantee you that. Right. And again, I don't know what the I don't know what the specific catalyst is. I don't know if it's on the off chance that it's that, yeah, they slap a pair of cuffs on Musk one morning. Um, but, you know, it's it's going to be something because the growth ain't there. And, and, you know, eventually even the dummies at Bailey Gifford are going to say, "Whoa, you know, and Musk is going to have to raise more money. I mean, certainly he's going to have right. to raise money to do anything he says he wants to do. And by the way, you know we didn't talk about this there's nothing more hilarious than than a guy that than a shark that has to swim right or it's gonna die and musk has to keep the illusion of growth up so he's gonna build a factory in texas right you know he's gonna build um a factory in germany where their market share is heading into the toilet in europe right and and he's going to expand the chinese factory right and he's going to have so much overcapacity it's it's going to be hilarious but That's, you know, the idiots who own this stock can't look and see that there's no growth. And here's a guy who's going to triple his capacity.
0: Um, On to the next question. Uh, This one says, how much time, ask Mark, how much time did he spend doing technical due diligence versus financial forensic analysis versus Elon Musk's cult of persona hating? The,
1: the, the financially, you can understand this company in in 10 minutes. So, you know, I keep up on the news flow for sure. I have fun with the news flow because, look, the other companies I own are real businesses. Nothing changes day to day with a real business, right? This thing, crazy shit happens every hour. So it's as much entertainment as anything else. It, it doesn't take a lot of work for me, you know, to 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 monitor a telecom equipment company, right? right. I mean, you know, so... So I don't know exactly what the point of his question is. I mean, or or what he's what is what specifically is he asking? I
0: think I think the point of this question is like how much time did you do um, doing technical analysis versus for financial for. Well,
1: I look at I do I look at the technicals a lot for Tesla, sort of for entry and exit points on the marginal number of shares that I'll take off or take on as it moves. You know, if I want to hold this to X percent of my book, and I have to take off you know, X number of shares, I'll say, okay, you know, I can take them off this minute or, you know, I could, I could give it eight bucks a leeway and see if it closes over to 20-day moving average or below it or whatever, right? For, you know, for whatever reason, lately on, on Tesla and actually all of NASDAQ, the 20-day moving average has been sort of a key, you know, support line on a closing basis for a lot of these stocks, right? And, and, and Tesla's one of them. But, it, you know, I, I look, I'm reading things all day And I tweet a lot about Tesla just because it's like such a crazy, you know, amusing stock. But it doesn't take a lot of time to look at the numbers every quarter and to read the news flow and see what's going on with this thing. See how the business is going nowhere,
0: you know. All right. Uh, Next question. Has Mark ever read Ashley Vance's biography of Elon Musk? I think anyone who's read that book cover to cover would never short Tesla.
1: Okay, good for him. I've read excerpts of that. Um, somehow, um, someone would buy a company where a guy clearly defrauded investors in the past. Isn't that the section it has where he rolled out the fake computer and told him it was a supercomputer? Was that in that
0: book? I have no idea. I haven't read it, so I'm not I, sure. I mean, you
1: read, you read that book, and this guy... And that book, by the way, was was a was a suck-off job on the part of Vance, and even he couldn't leave out a bunch of the crap that Musk has pulled. I mean... You know, I mean, Musk is is a, an incredibly deceptive guy now. There are a lot of people who own his stock because they're like, hey, you know, he may be a deceptive guy, but he's on our side. He's deceiving for us. OK, great. Let's see how that works out eventually. You know, I mean, there's not a lot to say to that other than use some common sense, you know.
0: All right. Next question. Uh, has Mark, uh, I think I know the answer to this one, although actually this is a two part question, um, Has he ever interviewed Elon Musk or had a meeting with his CFOs or IR people? Has he ever done any factory tours in the U.S. or China?
1: No, and I'll give you a few reasons for that. Number one, I would have no idea what the fuck I was looking at looking at a car factory. I mean, I can say this, (laughs) by the way. I've seen a lot of YouTube videos of modern VW, BMW, Daimler, you know, even GM factories. And a Tesla factory, certainly one in a tent, looks absolutely nothing like any of them. And I do not mean that as a compliment. So I, I know enough of that. Um, there's no reason for me to talk to, first of all, Musk isn't gonna talk to me and I have no interest in talking to him. And, and, there's no, and, and the CFO isn't gonna talk to me and I have no interest in talking to CFO. I mean, I see the numbers I, I, and I see the lying that they've done on the warranty and, and characterizing you know, warranty repairs as goodwill so they don't have to call it warranty work and they don't have to you know build that into their reserve. So why do I need to talk to a liar and have him lie to me? And not only that, a, a, a guy who's, who is a real investor, you know, much bigger than I am, is David Einhorn. He's had a whole list of questions for sure. them, and they won't meet with him. If they're not going to meet with David, you know, they're certainly not going to meet with me. They're not going to meet with anybody who asks them hard questions. The IR guys have been you know, one liar after another, probably until they get sick of lying, and then they, then they quit.
0: Einhorn has, and he actually asked for a factory tour as well, didn't he? Because Musk invited him. Yeah, they him wouldn't and then, even
1: give him that. But, I mean, really, who, you need a factory tour? I mean, we've all seen pictures of the, of the tent. There is no fucking way in the world that this company is building tent, building cars in tents and, and generating margins anywhere near the rest of the industry. You know, They're, which they're is building
0: last- another tent now, too.
1: Yeah, exactly. Did so, you see
0: that?
1: Yeah, I did see that. So that's going to be <laughs> for the, the Model Y or something. I don't know. The, the whole thing is absurd. It's nonsense. There isn't a there isn't a single critical thinker who owns this stock. So, you know, at some point, this bubble's going to burst. I'll be there.
0: All right, next question. Larry Ellison is worth 50 to $70 billion and is on the board of directors. He owns a billion dollars of equity from open market purchases. Did that ever go into your short thesis? Do you think it would uh, essentially... Essentially, he's asking, did you think that that would uh, preclude Tesla from ever filing Chapter 11?
1: Well, I don't think, I, as I said, if Musk raises cash with a stock price anywhere between, you know, $1,500 and, and $700, he will not have to file Chapter 11 because he can raise enough if he does it to pay off the debt. As I said, sure. he may not want to do it. He may not want the stock out there. As far as Larry Ellison, look. I, obviously, I've never met Larry Ellison. I've never spoken with Larry Ellison. I've never, he's never emailed me. I think I sent him an email at one point. If, I don't even know if I had the right address. I never heard back. I have, I have huge respect for Larry Ellison uh, as a business person, uh, unlike for Musk. Larry Ellison built a massive, legitimate company, you know, from nothing, right? He was a salesman for what, IBM or something, and left and started Oracle? I'm not, and, you know,
0: yeah, I'm not sure where he started that. <laughs>
1: I mean, I have nothing but respect for Larry Ellison. Now, why did he get involved here? I have a few theories. Number one, I think he did actually very little diligence. I mean, his investment here was what, like one and a half percent of his net worth. I think he has a crush, you know, a, a guy crush, a, a man crush, a father-son crush on Elon Musk, who, you know, Larry Ellison, you know, loves flying, you know, he, he flies like Russian fighter jets, surplus jets, right? he's. He won the America's Cup with super fast sailboats. He's a he's a real sportsman kind of guy. Musk likes a lot of the same stuff. You know, Ellison is brash. Ellison, you know, many times was accused of of overpromising on the software he'd deliver and then delivering it later. Um, and I think he see you know maybe look maybe he sees a young version of himself in Musk. And Ellison is so rich he's like. You know, I like this kid. You know, you don't like him too bad. Fuck you. I'm throwing a billion into the company. I'll join the board. You'll notice, by the way, that if you ever look at the website where they have all the board committees, La- Larry Ellison is on none of them. So my guess is he spends, you know, very little time on this, which is fine. He's, he's running his own company again now, right? So, um, so yeah, look, I don't, I don't have a bad word to say about Ellison, except that, that I am puzzled about seemingly how little real diligence he did here. But look, I, he doesn't care. He's got, he's, you know, there are very few people in the world with more FU money than Larry Ellison. So <laughs> for, right? So for whatever reason, he's doing it. All right, you're holding up well. But the fact well. that Larry Ellison is involved here, uh, look, I mean, the facts are the facts. The market share is the market share. The true profitability is the true profitability. Um, so Larry Ellison's involvement is not relevant to me. I mean, Larry Ellison was a big investor in Theranos, right? He didn't put as much into that, as, as he put into Tesla. But didn't he put like $100 at the Theranos or something? Something like put a lot of money in. I'm not in.
0: sure, but all you had to do was and, the basic due diligence on Theranos to know that the machine didn't work, right?
1: Okay, so he was advising Holmes. She even, I think she even called him like Uncle Larry, right? She would look to him for advice and all that stuff. So, you know, you have to ask Ellison, you know, how much real diligence he did here. I mean, I'll tell you, I remember when he did it. Um, in fact, he was speaking to a bunch of people. He was on, recorded on tape. I think he was speaking to a bunch of analysts. And he said, yeah, I threw a, a you know, I bought whatever he did, a million shares. I threw a billion dollars into, into Tesla because this guy lands rockets on barges. Okay, so that's why he bought this car company. I you know, can't argue with that. Except to say that, except to say that <laughs> I think McDonnell Douglas and a bunch of other guys were landing rockets, essentially, I don't know if they were on barges, but they were reusable rockets in the 1970s and realize that there isn't actually a good business case for this because the cost of refurbishing those stages of the rockets is more than the and than just you know welding together or however they do it a new one so they they didn't do it because they don't care if it looks cool they're looking for businesses that make money well from what I've read SpaceX makes no money right in fact someone had put on Twitter that that they just they have a new funding round out and and they wouldn't even provide current financials they only were willing to provide financials as of As of June 2019, and here we are, July 2020. That's not a good sign. (laughs) I mean, it's... And, you know, the Wall Street Journal did an expose on SpaceX a couple of years ago. For years, SpaceX on the website claimed it was profitable. The journal found out it wasn't profitable. They were lying on their own website. So then they had to change the website. So, Elon Musk is just a liar, you know? And I don't know why Larry fell for that, or... I, I don't know. You'd have to ask him. I don't want to speak for him. I will say that I have, I have... Huge respect for that guy because of what he built. You know, far more respect than I have for Musk. And um, so I, I don't have a bad word to say about him. I would just say that I think he didn't do a lot of actual homework here. He just likes Musk.
0: All right. And last uh, question from the Bulls. And then I, got, then I got a bearish, slanted question of my own that I'm going to ask. Uh, how, many, how many industrial capital intensive capital intensive is bolded how many industrial capital-intensive companies in the world have grown revenue from zero to thirty billion dollars over the last decade?
1: How was it, it done over the last six, seven quarters? I mean, are we talking about the,
0: the question? Is how many industrial, how many capital-intensive industrial okay, companies know. have grown revenue from zero to thirty billion dollars? That's the point he's trying to make.
1: I, I don't know, but how many, how many, how many industrial capital-intensive companies sell for um, um, five and a half times revenue.
0: Right. That's a good point I mean, also, too. I, I,
1: mean, I mean, this guy, here's the thing. Here's the, here's the hilarious thing about Tesla bulls, right? They're always looking forward until it suits their purposes to look at ancient history, okay? <laughs> how, how many, how many grow, ask this guy, how many stocks priced for hyper growth haven't grown revenue in six or seven quarters and would be losing money, if they didn't fraud up the warranty accounting and sell emissions credits that are going away next year, ask them that question. I mean, I mean, you know, the growth has come to a screeching halt. Okay, and yeah, maybe it'll grow a little bit. Maybe it'll maybe it'll get a little bit more revenue growth. You know, later this year, I don't know, but but it's going to be ever worse margins, because they're going to have to sleep. Listen, they already cut the Model Y price by $3,000. That was the brand new hot yeah, model. I saw that. that. That Musk refused to ever give the order number for, a reservation number, whatever yep. he calls it. Every other model, he's already talking about how many quote-unquote reservations he has for that stupid pickup truck, which will never get built in that form, you know? So, you know, these are $100 refundable whatever, and, you know, your average Tesla fan probably put in three of them, because he thinks there's going to be a waiting list, which, of course... Of course, the way this will go is Musk will just take the newest, highest money first and screw over the early waiters the same way he did on the Model 3. He even re- he never would tell anybody how many he had for the Model Y. I mean, that thing is like, it's almost stillborn, you know? It's, it's an okay seller for an electric car, but it's nowhere near what Bulls thought it would be, you know?
0: Yeah, the Model <laughs> Y has really not gotten very good reviews, and uh, I just saw... Well, it,
1: it, it got okay reviews. I mean, look, you're trading extra weight and and somewhat worse handling for more storage than the Model Three, but there's no reason to get either of those. You don't, there, there's no reason to get either of those soon. With the VW ID. Four, which, which will be the sort of the crossover, uh, you know, Volkswagen or the BMW iX three, you know, or the, the Audi has a a small electric crossover, uh, and Mercedes has a small electric crossover, all coming out within the next twelve months, and they're all going to be way nicer and way better built than than any of these teslas that are literally some of them are having their bumpers fall off in the rain
0: right i saw that too (laughs) i I mean
1: i mean i mean these people are because again the average world buyer a would like some knobs to control his radio right he doesn't have to go over to the touch screen to raise the temperature lower temperature but the other thing is they want some quality they want a decent interior they want easy high quality dealer service which you can no longer get i mean musk slashed sgna so much to try to eke out some profitability that you know the customers get treated like shit and you know so there's this cult of buyers you know i've said for many years that the tesla buying cult you know is is an inch wide and a mile deep right you get these people oh i'm on my seventh tesla i mean i thought the average person looks at them and says what the fuck, dude i want a car with a nice interior that's well built and they treat me well and all those people which is the vast majority of the market are not going to be buying Teslas, and that's why Tesla's market share is sliding into the toilet in Europe because there are now more choices, and there are a lot more choices coming.
0: The uh, the VW, what's it called, the ID3? So this the 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 the, the
1: is, hatchback is, is, it is called the a- ID3, and then the small SUV is the ID4.
0: Yeah, the ID3 is the one that I saw, and it's actually a cool little looking fucking car, man, and like. That's one, so far, out of all the electric vehicles that I've seen, and that includes, you know, all of them. The concept vehicles and all this other stuff, and uh, I, I like the Porsche, obviously, but in terms of reasonable ones that I would afford, be able to afford and be able to buy that mm. would be the one the ID3 because you know i have had people ask me you know would you consider buying a tesla i even had uh, you know somebody that was along the stock say if i bought you one would you drive it and i said no because i just don't want it. the the outstanding potential liability Of something like the bumper falling off, and then you read these horror stories about people not being able to get the thing serviced and not being, you know, it's not being covered under warranty and all that stuff. And I, that's a huge turnoff for me. A huge turnoff for me because I like to be able to bring my car to the local guy and just have him fix it. And if he can't do it, then there's usually there's a highway near me and there's a dealership there. So when I look at the ID3, which I think is only like thirty thousand dollars in the U.S., it's okay. Hold on.
1: So the ID3, which is the hatchback, is not coming to the U.S. At least not any time in the near future. Hatchbacks, for whatever reason, just don't sell well here. The ID4, which is the which is the SUV version on the same platform, that's coming well, to the where's U.S.
0: Where's the ID3 selling in Europe then? Now
1: in Europe, yeah, Europe, okay. and I think China probably too. So um, what else? So the ID- I'll ID4 is, is the one that's going to be here.
0: The price point is right. Still, I'm I'm not even going to buy one. I'm just saying that's the first one I looked at. where like. The price point was right. The car was fucking cool looking. It, you know, it doesn't really have a lot of get up and go. I, I remember looking at the... Uh... Well, the,
1: the, the, there's going to be a lot of different versions. And the, the highest performance version uh, is going to be very decent on get up and go. You know, it's not going to be quite as quick as the performance, you know, Model 3 or the performance Model Y. But you know, listen. I mean, put this I, in perspective. I have a
0: Volkswagen right? dealer, though. You know, two miles from my house. Well, so, also, so if something goes horribly wrong, it,
1: it, it wasn't that long ago when, when a when a brand new Porsche nine eleven would run zero to sixty in the low sixes, right? And was considered a rocket. Right. <laughs> you know. So you know, but, you know if, if, if a Volkswagen ID four performance version uh, runs it in the fives, and I, I don't know that that's the case, but I'm suspecting that's the case. I mean, for for the vast majority of the market, you know, that's terrific, you know. And and Tesla is not priced to be this little niche company, you know, who sells cars to people who want that extra half second of performance and are willing to, you know, drive a shittily made thing with the bumpers falling off and no knobs to get it, right? So, you know, for the true mass market, Tesla is going to be nowhere, which again, that's already happening in Europe where you have choices.
0: That's another liability that I think about, too, when I thought because i actually thought about you know what would it take for me to go out and buy one of these and drive it and the idea that if the touchscreen bricks the car bricks and i've read story after story after story of exactly that where the touchscreen goes and i don't like that I, you know I, I don't the id3 that i saw the interior photos of it does have a tiny touchscreen but it also has uh knobs and stuff on the steering wheel like it's, more traditional a... type stuff
1: yeah, it's a safety issue. It's not just worrying about it breaking. It's let's say it works fine. You're driving down the road. You want to adjust the temperature. You want to adjust this, that. You got to take your eyes off the road and look at the touchscreen. Right. right? And and there's you know you need tactile feel. I mean, any all, all everything coming forward now is going to have a touch screen, but with you know some backup knobs for the key features. And Tesla doesn't. I mean, they do on the on the on the old designs of the. Uh, X and uh, the S and, and X, but they don't have it on the do so the they have
0: little knobs on the steering wheel, Mark?
1: Uh, I think the Model 3 has knobs on the steering wheel. I think you can adjust the volume with the knobs on the steering wheel. But as far as I know, as, and, and anyone can correct me on this, I don't even think you could adjust the wipers without using the touchscreen.
0: What? That's crazy. Yeah, it doesn't have like the, a tree all, that you pull the thing down? It has no, to. I think
1: all it has on this, all it has, I think, is a little, a little wheel to adjust... Of volume. I think you can choose, I don't know, one or two things that you adjust on the steering wheel. And I think volume is one of them. I don't know what the other one is, but
0: let's see. it's ridiculous. Tesla, turn on wipers. <laughs> That's what we just Googled just now. How to use the windshield <laughs> wipers. Tesla Model 3. All right, hold tight with me one sec. So let's see. This guy is fucking hitting a touchscreen. He's hitting a wiper button. And yeah. he is. Oh yeah, he he did. He put the wipers on using the touchscreen. But he's there's a there's a there's a shift knob on the on the wheel though. So what is that for?
1: That must be for turn signals, or, right? Or
0: yeah, or autopilot maybe. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, a huge pain. Yes, you can't turn the fucking wipers on without using the touchscreen. That's. I mean, you
1: can't, you can't you can adjust the, the thermostat, the temperature yeah. without using the touchscreen. You know, or the fan speed. I mean, it's the whole thing is just stupid. And look, they did it, they did it to save money. I mean, basically, right? It's just cheaper. But and anyway, so the point is that these are not cars for the mass market and that's why they have to keep slashing prices just to maintain the volume that they're doing. And that's why you you give people alternatives. And and by the way, you know, the other thing is and it's made it's clear now, there's been multiple studies, Tesla blatantly lies about the range of its cars, right? At least in the real world. They're somehow gaming the EPA tests. Their real-world range averages about 20% worse than the EPA range, and what that means is it's it's roughly exactly the same as all the competing cars.
0: Yeah, I saw so, some of those studies. So, I saw those.
1: Yeah, so you know even Inside EVs published it. The original ones I think were done in England. So you're not you're not getting more range. You're not getting more real-world range with the Tesla. Car and Driver ran the the Taycan against the Performance Model S around a track at the same speed, the same conditions and everything. And th- the Tesla was barely more range. It might have been like 8 or 10 miles more, don't quote me on it. But yet you look at the, e- the EPA claim, and Tesla claims, you know, almost 400 miles for that car. And, and you know, Porsche on the Taycan, I, I forget what they claim, you know, just over, a little bit over 200 miles. But in reality, the Tesla was only a little bit over 200 miles, right? I saw a guy on Twitter the other day, you know, with the classic, tweet to Elon, hey, Elon, I don't mean to be mean to you and I love the car, but I've never gotten more than 250 miles from my Model Y in any kind of normal driving and I'm not coming anywhere close to the promised range. And, you know, of course, um, uh, Montana Skeptic, you know, said uh, he loves how this guy's apologizing for calling (laughs) Tesla out on fraud. right? Right. It is. I mean, Tesla's range claims, at least for the real world, are fraudulent. They don't stand up to any examination. Now, I'm not not saying that they're lying about what they do on the EPA test, but I am saying that they are somehow gaming the EPA test. And it's very strange that everyone else's real-world mileage typically is within 5% and sometimes better than the EPA, and Tesla's is almost inevitably 20% worse, right? So there's something going on there. So that's a long-winded way of saying you're not getting a real-world range advantage when you buy a Tesla over competing cars. That's all I'm saying.
0: My buddy Kubiko posted a couple of testimonials oh, he's, sim- similar to that today. I'm going to read. There's three of them here.
1: He's great. He's one of my favorite followers on Twitter. He's a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, he's
0: there. awesome. He's a, and he's a super <laughs> nice guy, too. I've known you him. You should
1: have him on the show. He's like up in I, Canada. I don't know who he is. I've only seen him on Twitter. but
0: I've offered to have him on the show, and he's declined. But uh, oh. not only oh. is he exceptionally intelligent, but he was like one of the first... People to really help me learn a lot of stuff. He's just—he's a class act. But he—he he just posted three different testimonials on uh, on his Twitter feed now that were that all happened within the last six hours, and they um, were all tweeted by other people. The first one says, "Tesla currently stranded in the middle of Georgia in a hundred degree heat, and my Model Three won't drive, and Tesla can't get us that. a rental car until tomorrow." The second one says. My Model 3 autopilot stops at red traffic lights in its sight that are meant for other traffic. It also stops on intersections when a red light is reflected on a road sign. What should I do to help? Say bug report or does the AI learn by itself? <laughs> Who's going <laughs> to tell them? These people are so fucking stupid. And the How third,
1: do people this stupid get 50 grand to buy a car? That's the, another miracle. The third
0: one says, had my Model 3 for 17 <laughs> days and the air conditioner is broken. So Well, you don't need that now. There's three uh, testimonials for you. Let's yeah. let's shift over to the macro environment, which is enabling all of this craziness. Uh, I want to kind of give you my take, and then I want to hear what your response is. Uh, putting aside the fact that I think that monetary policy in this country is absolutely insane, I just said on John Nigerian's podcast the other day that I think uh, the virus is going to be one of those things where so basically what I've looked at is I looked at the case fatality rate and I've looked at the CDC's estimates, <laughs> inclusive of asymptomatics for the case fatality rate. Which- so you, what
1: you're talking about is called the infection fatality rate, if it includes everybody. Go ahead.
0: OK. All right. Uh, and so then what's the difference between the infection fatality rate and the case fatality rate?
1: The The infection fatality rate includes anyone who got it and was never diagnosed with it at the time, but you do these big tests and, okay. oh, this guy has antibodies, he had gotten it. So that's the most accurate would be the infection fatality. I mean, the most important would be the infection fatality rate. Go All ahead.
0: Right. So that that's what I'm using. So I'm looking at the CDC's <laughs> estimate for that, which last month I think was 0.3%. And
1: no way, it's no way near that low. I don't even think they had it that low, but go ahead. I'll tell you, I'll, t- I'll give you the numbers I've, I've seen using studies, but go ahead.
0: Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here's the, uh, I'm gonna gonna find the, uh, what I'm reading right now. Uh, CDC estimates COVID-19 death rate around 0.26%. That's from one month ago.
1: Okay, that contradicts, as far as I know, um, there have been, um, the biggest study was in New York State where they, they literally did randomly tested, although people argue about the randomness, thousands of people. Yeah, like, like
0: 3,000 people, right?
1: No, but then they expanded it. They did even more than that, right? And if you do all that math, and then you look at how many people died in New York, and you look at the population, the infection fatality rate across all ages, you know, as uh, you know, and I, right. and then we'll talk about how it's skewed, is actually somewhere around, call it 0.8% ballpark. Now, you know, that said, it's massively higher for older people and, and people with complications, of various kinds, you know, diabetes, obesity, whatever, and massive, you know, immunocompromised and massively lower for healthy young people. Correct. But if you want to talk the overall, overall blended total rate, it's really about 0.8 based on there's the New York data. And then there was another, I forget where another study, um, that, that also had, you know, sort of Tests everybody, and then there was the that Carnival cruise ship, which you know it came in you know at around two percent, but it skewed very old. And if you adjust for the age, you also come at, come up with somewhere around zero point eight ballpark.
0: Okay. For everybody. So let's say but go ahead. We'll say between zero <clears> point <throat> three and zero point eight percent then, and uh, just to compromise our our two findings, um, what I said to John was when we first started to get data on the virus out of China. And we know that their data is obviously questionable, but they had kind of this 2.4% case fatality rate that was like locked in. And there were a lot of worries about it being much higher. Well, wait a minute, now
1: you're using the phrase case fatality rate. That's different from infection fatality rate.
0: Okay, so I'm trying to figure out the overall number of deaths compared to the total number of people that have had the virus.
1: OK, that's the infection fatality rate. And, and I don't know what CDC was looking at, because I'm telling you, I, not only did I do the math based on the only studies I could find and came up with about 0.8 percent, but a number of medical people have also cited that as a realistic number. So I don't know what CDC was working with there, but, but go ahead. Okay, if you so want to ar- just table that argument, because there's a big difference between 0.3 and 0.8. Yeah, 0.8 is almost three times as bad. Of and, course. I think, and I think that's a more realistic number. But again, huge variance in age and, and general health. But go ahead.
0: And here's another just off the top of what I can find. <laughs> Harvard University epidemiologist Mark Lipsitch said in May that he believes the fatality rate is clearly above 0.2% and probably above 0.4%, likely between 0.2% and 1.5%. Okay, so that's a range that supports uh your number for the total infection fatality rate if you'd like to call it that. Okay. Um so my my better way to put this what type of recovery do you think we're gonna see? Do you think we're gonna see a slow, drawn out recovery? We're gonna have a lot of economic pain going forward or do you think we're gonna have a V-shaped recovery? Uh,
1: so <laughs> we're gonna have, and we are having, a, a a call it a V, right up to around, I don't know, 85% of where the economy was, let's say in 2019, and then it just stalls out there. You're talking that, about the
0: economy, and, though, not the stock market, right?
1: I'm talk, let's talk about the economy first, because okay. that's what
0: you're referring to.
1: Yes. So that, that's... I mean, I mean, look at it this way. If you shut the whole fucking country down, right, and then, you know, reopen 85% of the country the next day, then the next day, you're going to have a massive V-shaped recovery. And I'm obviously compressing the time frame here. You know, right up till you get to 85% of where things used to be. Right. So so th- the whole idea about looking at the rapid improvement uh, in the economy from, I don't know, April to June or April to July or whatever people are looking at, I mean, that's just idiotic. If you turn everything off and then turn most of it back on, you know, most of it is going to come back. And obviously I'm generalizing here. Like sure. the airlines you know. are running, but nobody's using them, right? The, right. You know, so... So the only thing that really, the only question anybody should be asking themselves is, until there's a vaccine, and let me back up. The only thing anybody should ask themselves is this, until nobody is worrying about coronavirus and is willing to return to their prior life, where, you know, how high does the economy go? And I think it gets to, again, I'm pulling this a little bit out of my ass, but not totally, you know, 85% of where it was in 2019. If the economy is at 85% of where it was in 2019, you know, there's no fucking way that the stock market should be, you know, whatever, 100 and whatever percent of where it was in 2019. Well, so many-
0: monetary policy changed significant though. So the, the economy may right. be at 85 percent of what it was in right. 2019, I'm, I'm talking- but now we have zero percent rates and unlimited quantitative easing. You're right. You're right. I'm, t- I'm talking fundamentally. You're 100 percent right. So So
1: I guess what I'm trying to say here is people— you know, and, and by the way, most people who listen to you and me understand this, so we're sort of preaching to the choir. I would like to sort of preach this to the to the financial talking heads it, to, to talk about the rate at which the economy has come back. And by the way, it's now in some ways stalling out, right? Employment or whatever, is meaningless. You flip the switch off, you flip it on, the light's going to start going again, right? Or the water's going to flow or, or whatever. So what I'm saying is, I think we're going to get to about, again, ballpark, 85% of where we were, and then we're going to be stuck there until people don't have to worry about coronavirus anymore, right?
0: What do you you think it'll take for people to not worry about the virus at all? I think there's going to have to...
1: uh, uh, Look, this is not any brilliant thought. Everybody knows this. There's going to have to be a a widely available vaccine that people feel comfortable taking, right? And there are real questions out there and you know, I had this discussion on some with somebody on Twitter and maybe made a comment. You know, there are a lot of people not in that crazy anti-vaxxing crowd who are thinking, you know what, this was a hell of a rush job. You know, I don't know if I want to inject this thing until you know I wait a year and see how it works on people. Now, that's not going to be everybody, and, and of course, you know, I I guess to get, you know, some kind of herd immunity, you only need, you know, sixty or seventy percent of the population. Um, immune, right? So if, if I don't know, 5% of the population already had this, assuming that you build up immunity, and that's a whole nother question, right, which I'm sure you've read about after you've had it, if you have less you know, then you maybe you need, I don't know, 50 or 55% of the population to take the vaccine. So when do I think that happens? I think the I think the best, the best possible case for that is, you know, we get enough of those people vaccinated, you know, and and, or we, you know, enough people get vaccinated that they start going to restaurants again or whatever assuming they're open maybe maybe in q2 of of 2021 and and maybe not you know and then and even then by the way it takes a long time um the economy has to be strong for a while before people have the confidence to start a new business right and and go out and expand capacity right and do all that kind of stuff so you know i think the economy you know, starts getting more than 85% of, of where it was in 2019, in the best case, you know, maybe in, in Q2 of next year. And and it's going to take a long time to get back to the 2019 level, at least probably a year after that. And that's assuming that we have this vaccine and, and it works. Look, there's another issue here, which is, it, it, you've probably been reading, um, there are people who are developing antibodies after they've had this. And You know, some studies are showing these antibodies fading in two or three months. There's another study I just saw which shows that the antibodies were still strong in three months. These guys did it uh, a bunch of hospitals in New York. They just, you know, published a a, um, preliminary look Friday night. So it's unclear at this point, but, you know, it's possible that you develop antibodies with these vaccines and and then you lose them. And then there's people who say, well, the antibodies aren't necessarily the marker you need. You look at T-cells or something. Look... you know, I'm I'm here's I'm a guy who's spouting based on a, a C minus in AP biology in high <laughs> school. Okay, so but you know I've read enough of this stuff that you know this is what this is what the people who seem to know what you're talking about. But it's this. I mean, I saw you tweeting the other day. Actually, I think you tweeted something, and I was going to comment, and then you took it down. This is not going to happen super fast. You know, we're going to get this rapid improvement, and then we're just going to stall out, and and we're not going to start climbing back again from there until you know sometime maybe the middle of next year or something if we're lucky
0: my thesis was the following there's Mm -hmm. uh you know probably almost 100 vaccines right now in various stages of clinical trials right clinical trials the way that we do them kind of uh, i understand that there's a public confidence lapse in vaccines but clinical trials are uh really supposed to give people the confidence that the vaccines are safe and that they are uh
1: yeah, but create, sometimes it takes. But it takes a while sometimes I, to find out it isn't safe. That's
0: that's correct. That's correct. I understand that. And and a lot of these companies have committed to doing phase four and phase five trials, uh, after phase three as well. Uh, and I also saw what you were talking about about the antibodies and there you know being maybe a three month uh, lapse after after you have the antibodies. I've seen a couple of studies, but I have seen more than one. That say, you know, three, four months after the antibodies develop, the people don't have them. The, the vaccines are inducing a uh, antibody response, though, that they're finding is higher than the okay. antibody response that people are getting naturally from it. And also, I think okay. I think the vaccines kind of make it a moot point, because if it's something where you're immunocompromised or you're elderly, I mean, you, you'll you just be getting vaccinated you know, every season or every six months or whatever it is. As
1: well, we need that. Well, listen, we may need that anyway. I mean, this may become a seasonal disease similar to a flu vaccine. You know, may need to, you know, to, to get a new one every year, which is, look, it's fine if you can get it. If it's available, people will do it,
0: you know. Oh, well, it's definitely it'll definitely be available. They're already building the capacity and the infrastructure to make billions and billions of these uh, vaccine dosage. So they've already have the factories and things like that built to produce this stuff once they get there So that there isn't a bottleneck there um, You know, my thesis is kind of like And and you know me You know I'm a, I'm a bear And you know I'm a skeptic And I, you know, don't like the way we do monetary policy In this country at all But my thesis is Really a couple of things are at play You know, all at once You do have a certain part of the country Even now That is just over it They just... You know they're ready to get back out there. They're ready to travel. They're ready. Yeah, but, to, well, hold on, hold on. on. You hold on. Let me finish my thought, and then you can respond. Sorry. <laughs> you have, you have. I'm just making this point. There is a certain part of the country. There's a certain percentage of the country. Whatever, 25 percent, 50 percent, that's out there. That's ready to just go about life, and are just saying, "Hey, you know, whatever happens, happens." I'm not saying that's right. Or I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that it, that that's out there we are likely going to have a vaccine candidate or more than one vaccine candidate in this country by the end of the year we have you know astrazeneca okay. we have moderna we have all these okay. companies that are okay f- far so then maybe you're talking another two months after that before they can get the infrastructure up and get distribution of it and all Well, these this other
1: is things. why i said if everything goes right You'll start to see some improvement above the eighty-five percent level in Q2 of next year, best possible case.
0: Right. Well, you don't even let me finish my thought. You're all like right, you like me interrupting you, which is what which <laughs> I've been doing all podcasts, and now you're doing it. Sorry. Um, no, it's okay. So uh, you have those two things, and then you have, and and I think we're going to have a sharper recovery in travel and leisure than people think. I think there's a wanderlust kind of building up in people. Uh, Now that they can't travel, now that they can't go places, certainly I'm having a little bit of that as well. And so when the coast seems clear, uh, it's on my list of things to do. What I was just saying is I think that if the economy can get back to 85 percent of where it was, say it can do that in Q2. Right. Yeah. And say Biden doesn't fuck up the works too much if he gets elected. And that's another wild card.
1: I think it can get to I think it can do that probably faster than Q2. I think it could get there by, you know, maybe year end of well, this given, year.
0: Given the new monetary policy that we have in this country and really the huge step that we took toward MMT here over the last six months, I mean, isn't there a case for the market just being, you know, absolutely ridiculously higher than it is now at the end of 2021?
1: OK, fine. So so. All right. First of all, you're three things. I wanna deal with the first thing you said there, which is people, some people are fed up and they're ready, they're done with this. Any place that's happened, you're getting huge outbreaks and they're getting shut down again. People in Texas were fed up, right? They were done with it. People in Florida were fed up, they were done with it. In New York, everyone's wearing a mask and no restaurants are open inside, okay? So that's gonna happen, it, it seems, until there's a, until there's a vaccine for this. So your concept that some of this economy is going to come back above 85%, you know, regardless of whether there's no vaccine. I think that's a non starter because, at least so far, anytime they've tried to do that, they've well, gotten massive outbreaks.
0: These, well, these places that have opened up and then shut back down again acted very surprised when they saw the infection numbers go up after they reopened. And I think this is like dipping your feet into very cold water. I think they'll do it and they pull their feet out immediately. And then I think, you know, over the next six weeks or maybe the next eight weeks, we'll probably see those same places start to loosen up again in terms of their regulations oh, and reopening.
1: Oh, okay, and I, so and I, also think,
0: I also think yeah. to some degree that there's going to be an attitude of inevitability with this stuff uh, I don't. Go, going forward as well.
1: Okay, I don't think there's going to be an attitude of inevitability. And, you know, you know we look at um, um, you know, some of the guys that we all follow on Twitter have been great at posting – you know, the, the, you know, cases in Florida were up, you know, two point whatever percent, which is, you know, half a percent lower than the seven day moving average of three point whatever percent, whatever the hell it is. Right. Right. And my answer to that is, and I've said this on Twitter. Yeah. You know, if you shut down the fucking economy again, which everyone has been doing in these places, then the number of infection that the increase is going to drop. Right. And then the death rates are going to go up for a while because you have like sort of three week time lag between when unfortunately people are going to die from this from when they get infected is you know three to four weeks so it's going to be fits and starts this is what i'm saying we're not going to have a situation where they just reopen and everybody does their thing and says fuck it i don't care if i get this if i die from it so what i don't think that's going to happen until there's a vaccine so i guess i think
0: people are going to take like social distancing precautions and mask precautions which i think are good things. I think people are going to do that. So when I say they're going to reopen and go back to normal, what I mean is they're going to go back to normal while, you know, being cautious about the virus. But I think businesses will have adapted.
1: You Uh, you can't, you can't run a restaurant limited to 25% capacity and survive. Okay. You can't, you can't run a theater limited to 25% capacity. You know, yeah, you might only have 25% on a Wednesday matinee, but you fucking need a hundred percent on Friday and Saturday night, or you're out of business, right? Well, a lot you of these,
0: yeah. a lot of these restaurants locally near me have taught, Specifically, one that I go to all the time, which is a sushi restaurant, tells me that the amount of takeout volume that they're doing is almost replacing their uh, seating.
1: Okay, well, that's good for them and very unusual. Because, for instance, the 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 twenty four seven diner down the street from me, you know, and and some of these other restaurants. Even with the takeout and delivery, which they've always had, right. you know, they're doing like 25% of what they used to do. Now, in, in fairness, some of that is, you know, I'm on the Upper East Side of Manhattan and Manhattan has had a lot of people just leave. They've right. gone to the country houses or they've, they've literally moved for good to suburbia or somewhere else in the country. So that's not the perfect yardstick, but look, any restaurant, you know, most, most real restaurants make a lot of their money on the booze, the wine list, whatever, right? And, you know, none of these guys can survive, I don't think, on on, on those kind of limitations. You know, the, the whole cruise industry, the plane industry, people are just not going to do this until they feel comfortable. And, you know, the only people who are going to say, fuck it, I don't care, I'm going to do it, are a combination of, you know, like rednecks who are probably 50 pounds overweight, and they're the most likely to get the damn thing <laughs> and, di- and, di- or and di- to die from it, right? Or, you know, young kids who are like, Eh, I'm in my twenties. I'm I'm impervious. I'm fine, but right. I don't think that the I don't think that local regulations are going to allow those young kids to to fill up a bar, and so I think the bar is screwed, and the you know and the therefore the bar employees are screwed, right? So that's why I mean we're sort of on the same page in a way in terms of when the economy gets above 85% of where it used to be. I I agree that I think it's the best case scenario. You think maybe it's the likely scenario, which would be maybe starting in Q2 of next year, but it's gonna be a slog from there even to get to the 2019 level. Now, to your other point about all the money printing and what does that say for stocks, there's two things. Okay, fundamentally, you have to ask yourself what's priced in to stocks today, and, and, and maybe we can both agree on this, that what's priced into stocks today is an economy that's, you know, 120% of 2019 and not, you know, 85%, maybe very slowly getting to 100% of 2019. As for the money printing, look, you know, Japan has printed a massive amount of money for the last 20 years. In that time, they've had four massive bear markets, like I think roughly 50% drawdowns, don't quote me on that, right? right? Somehow, printed money does not have to go into grotesquely overvalued stocks somehow printed money can find other places to go and i think you and i both know where we think that is and we both own a lot of it right um which is gold of course
0: so <laughs> you didn't have to say it yeah exactly
1: but you know you and i know but who know, you know just to just to be clear out there so i look I would not be net short this market, okay? And and I'm not net short this market. I'm sort of hedged short with with the cues, you know, ballpark with the cues against my my longs. You know, maybe I'm slightly net short if I throw in our, our relatively smaller Tesla position. Um, but but stocks do not have to go up. You know, money can go to other places. And then of course. Then we talk about, you know, inflation and stagflation and are we going to start seeing some stagflation due to reduced supply chain and, and all this money printing and, 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 you know, MMT and all that. And if you start getting some inflation, you know, the the first thing that's going to happen with nominal stock prices is, is I think, is they're going to crash because you're going to get instant P.E. multiple compression. Right. right. Eventually, eventually, once the P.E. multiple compression stops, once you go from you know, a market-wide multiple of whatever it is, I don't even know what it is now, Tw- 25 times the 2019 number, so maybe 30 times, to- whatever it is. Once that gets to, I don't know, 16 or 17 times or whatever, you know, then prices, stock prices going to start coming back because you have nominally higher earnings, right? You know, they raise prices, even though their input costs go up, but the, the number, you know. But so, you know, eventually, stocks can be sort of a hedge against inflation, but I think they crash first, Via multiple compression, assuming we get some inflation.
0: Yeah, if we don't, if we don't get inflation, what do you think? Where do you think stocks will be at the end of twenty twenty one?
1: If we if we get no inflation and they keep printing money well, like not this, not no
0: inflation, but say inflation stays stays at one and steady. a half or right. something. Um,
1: I, I guess I, if we if inflation stayed at like one and a half percent, and you know we got some gradual growth. We could have some gradual increase in stock prices, but I don't think we're going to have the kind of ripping market you're talking about.
0: Because I mean, in- inflation can rise, but I, I'm confident that the way that they're going to report it is not going to show. It
1: does what they, The way they report it, you know, doesn't matter. First of all, you know, core CPI does not do a terrible job on inflation. It's just. It's. It's honestly. I mean. You know, there are independent, real, not biased guys trying to sell gold to you. But, you know, like the, the MIT for a while had the Billion Prices Project. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I don't think they've no, kept I'm up not. with it lately. But, I mean, the total bullshit number is the one the Fed uses, which is like core PCE. The PCE I mean, deflator, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's fucking bullshit. So, but, you know, core PPI, by the way, was running a consistent 2.3% for months and months and months and months going into this uh, coronavirus crash before all this happened. And of course, the Fed was saying, oh, we're not at 2%, we're not, because they were using, right, the core PCE. So, you know, the market the market is not going to say, oh, well, the Fed says inflation's only 1.7. No, real world interest rates will go up, regardless of what the Fed does, if we start getting inflation. I mean, I'm sure you know the history, and maybe you don't, but I think starting, you know, from, from the late 40s to the early 50s, the Fed targeted a certain yield on treasuries and said they would, you know, basically buy whatever they had right. to do. all yield. But yet inflation was starting to rip, right? And in the real world, they said, fuck this, the Fed isn't serious about inflation, you know? Hey, uh, you know, um, um, Chris, I'm not going to lend you money at, you know, one point over treasuries because the Fed wants me to do that. I see what inflation is. I'm going to charge you three points over treasuries. I'm right. making up numbers here. And so the Fed started realizing that. People realized that the Fed was not serious about inflation, and the Fed's hand was forced, and it had to, you know, raise rates in order to actually lower real-world rates in order to show that it was serious about inflation. Of course, the complication with that is this country has such a massive uh, national debt and such a massive deficit. And okay, yeah, maybe the deficit won't be as bad next year as this year because we won't have the extra coronavirus. It's still going to be bad, though. It's still going to be bad. And look. You know, certainly Trump has been horrible on deficits, but I guarantee you the Democrats will be worse. I mean, the oh, Democrats yeah. will find all kinds of extra programs to spend money on. And the tax increases that they that they will push through will not, you know, cover any more than a small part of that. And so it's, it's
0: funny to think that they would still push tax increases through, which they which they're, they will, even though they're going to print the money.
1: Right. So right. So at that point, tax increases in the mind of a Democrat become almost... Uh, you know, what's the word? Puniary? You know, it's almost like we're going to take more from these people just because we don't want them to have so much money. Right. right? Well,
0: that's part of what it is now anyways. I mean, they have a vendetta against billionaires and against people that have been successful.
1: Right, right, right. So as you've pointed out on Twitter many times, there's clearly a logical disconnect between the Fed printing all this money and buying all these bonds and collecting any taxes at all. Right. right? Now, it's not totally illogical, right? Because on some level the market is like well at least there's they are they are taxing people and this won't go on forever and you know other you know so I think on some level people either anyway my point is that the, the, the tough situation the Fed is gonna be in of course is if we get some inflation and we have this massive national debt and massive deficits and 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 the government is not gonna be able to afford to pay the correct interest rates for money without having to kill other programs. I mean, it's one thing if you can, if you have a 10-year treasury, wherever it is now, I don't know, 60-something basis points, or I haven't haven't looked at it, you know, the last couple of days, but it's something else entirely if that goes up to three and a half, four percent, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the amount of percentage of the federal budget going towards servicing the debt, you know, has to quadruple Or whatever. I mean, that's a big fucking problem, and of course, that's the death spiral of the bond market and the dollar and everything else. I don't know how to get out of that, you know. But you know, as you are, look, I've never owned gold in my life before. Maybe I don't know, three months ago, or whenever I started buying it, and I've never felt more comfortable uh, about owning anything. You know, I have friends who who own a lot more gold than I do as a percentage of their portfolio. And by the way, I don't. It's a big percentage for me. But these guys are like, you know, they're all in and they worry about, you know, the price on it sometimes on a daily basis. And I'm like, you know, gold is my single largest uh, long position. And I barely look at the price like I don't care if it has to, you know, if if GLD has to correct back down to the 20 day or the 50 yeah, day. Well, it's average. like a very
0: long dated thesis. You know, you just assume that as long as the Fed and the central banks are going to continue to print that you know it's going to go up and you just all you got to do well, is look at the purchasing power of the dollar chart and invert it to the price of gold chart non-inflation adjusted and that's everything you need to see i mean they're both well, on if, uh, you really, know 100 year long trends that i don't think are going to end anytime soon well
1: well so two points number 1 the best correlation is um is 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 real interest rates right, right. so the more negative that real rates get the more supportive it is for gold because then it costs you absolutely nothing to, to hold it. I mean, theoretically, in a way, you're getting paid to hold it, right? Um, so that, that's very supportive. But yes, exactly. So in the long run, we all know where, where, where gold is going, right? But, you know, there's also potential for it to just explode higher in the short run, you know? I mean, you know, right now, you know, there's a core group of people who have gold, but inc- and, and by the way, I've recently sort of joined that group. I was never in it before, but increasingly... You know, you've got – there's a great article in, um, over the weekend in Barron's. Um, I, I, in fact, I posted a link to it I think this afternoon on Twitter um, where more and more people are going to start to look at, at gold as the safe haven preferable to treasuries, right? right? Oh, yeah, get, yeah, absolutely. If, and, if you, yeah, and if you get to that point where stocks correct and people are like, oh, I gotta, I, I'm not going to buy treasuries when I dump my stocks and go to the safe haven. I'm going to buy gold. I mean, fuck it. I mean, gold is a relatively small market, right? And and, and actually, right now, I just read, the price of gold is actually being driven by the gold ETFs. I guess GLD, among all of them, as opposed to GLD being driven by the futures market. Like, the gold futures traders are starting to get overwhelmed. When you start seeing, you know, and maybe you've talked about this, but when you start seeing Robinhood pour into gold, and, you know, and not just Robinhood, actual, you know, real money investors.
0: Yeah, it's, it's going to be a quick move.
1: It's going to be a quick move. It's going to be a huge move. And, you know, if you look at a chart, I mean, <clears throat> from sort of the bottom in this, in the 70s to where it peaked in 1980 or whatever, and then the same move um, from, like, sort of the early 2000s to where it peaked. When did it peak? In 2010 or something like that? I can pull up the chart. Those were like Those were like 6x moves.
0: Yeah, oh, part. yeah.
1: And if gold made a, made a 6x move, let me pull up. Give me one second. Let me just pull this up. Hang on a second. Um, hang on.
0: But, I mean, to your, to your point a lot, Peter Schiff says the same thing, and I tend to agree with him, which is when it breaks through all-time highs, then it's going to become a headline. You know, gold is through all-time highs, and then the news organizations are going to have, have to cover it. That's when you're going to see, I think, the pouring into it. The move that you're talking about, the you know what's going to be comparable to whatever that six yeah, X move was.
1: I, you know, if I if I look at gold, you know the last sort of major low it made, you know you could look at, um, hang on a second, what am I looking at here? You 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 could say okay, you could say that was in, uh, you know May of nineteen maybe when it was like twelve seventy five because it was sort of traded in a range and then it broke out and up from there. Right. I mean you know if if that made a, if it, if it did what it did the previous two times and did a a five x or a six x or, or a seven x from there you know you'd be looking at gold at six thousand seven thousand dollars something like that right um you know or or you could say the last major low was you know it it had a big correction I'm looking at a chart you know in in um in March of twenty it got as low as you know what the fourteen hundreds or something i mean think about a five x move from there or a six x move it's over seven thousand so that could happen. I mean, the gold chart to me looks fantastic. You yeah. know, it looks like it's it made ready. a move. It's consolidating. You know, it 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 it. You know, even even without something crazy going on, it could consolidate here for another six weeks and then make another five percent move up or something, right? Or it could just explode. You know, I mean, pull pull up a, you know, pull up a a a weekly chart of gold right now, like a a a five year or a ten year, and it's like it sort of made this move and now it's in the middle and then boom, it make the next move up. So I feel like we're just going to, my favorite asset class and what I'm, and and, you know, just to, just to go back to what I said, the money, the printed money does not have to chase stocks. It can go into other things at some point.
0: Yeah. I just feel like, first off, I think that's a great point. Second off, I feel like we're just going to wake up one morning and that's, we know that's going to be the day, you know, and, and really there was a lot of volatility in gold, as there was a lot of a lot of volatility in other asset classes while the pandemic was you know starting to become a thing and now it's kind of just parked and farted around for the last 6 weeks, 8 weeks, 12 weeks. I feel like one of these mornings we're going to wake up and that's going to be the sign. It's going to be a 160 dollar move to the upside and through all-time highs already. There'll be a bidding panic overnight or something. I feel like you know that's how it's going to happen and then it's just going to be fucking Katie bar the door at that point.
1: Yeah, and by the way, you know, so a couple of things, you know, that kind of move, you know, a six x move, if I remember right, um, I, I believe in the seventies, and I have to look again, was something like maybe a four year process, you know, and right, or, you know, or at least a couple year process. So, you know, it's not going to go seven x overnight, but if it, did, if it if it made if it did five x or six x over even over four years is fantastic. But I want to emphasize that at that point it will be a just a fucking massive out-of-control bubble, right? So, because whatever kind of inflation you think we're gonna have, in, in any near-term time frame, you know, we're not gonna have, you know, um, we're not gonna have a price level which inflates by 700%, right? Which would be 7X. So, you know, you're gonna, I mean, just deal with what, you know, be realistic here. You know, any, you know, based on what we've seen so far and, you know, what I think we're gonna see reasonably, I mean, I, I kind of think any gold over, you know, maybe $3,000, you're getting into bubble level, right. but it, it, it will happen. I mean, it's relatively smart. People will chase it and, you know, and I'm going to be selling it. I mean, if gold gets to gets to four dollars, I'm going to start taking a lot of it off the table just because I use I always sell too early, but I'm pretty sure it's going to go back to after that. I don't know. Three thousand. I it think
0: hits. I think we can see three thousand by the end of next year. And I think that would be of,
1: aggressive, but very possible. Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think I think the move. I think we still haven't seen the move that has corresponded with the amount of money printing that we're doing uh, yet, and I think that. Uh,
1: I, so somebody posted a chart recently, and I wish I could find it. Um, that sort of, you know, it was M two versus gold over time, I believe. Right. And and if you use that chart. Right now, gold would be, I believe it, it showed, around $2,700. Yeah,
0: I saw that same chart. Yep. I think that's exactly what I was referencing, actually, too.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, day to day, you know, GLD closed at 170. You know, what, you, know, you know, if it goes to 163, okay, I'm, I'm not going to worry about it. Again, even though it's a large position for us, because I know where that thing is going, you know. So
0: yeah, I feel the same way, and it's my biggest position too, and it's pretty much always going to be my biggest position until until further notice. But anyways, <laughs> listen, Mark, yeah. I want to thank you so much for taking some time on a Sunday to come on, talk to me, take on those uh, bull questions from Tesla, allow me to play devil's advocate. I appreciate it very much, and uh, hopefully uh, it's not you know six months before you come back on again. Hopefully we can catch up again soon, and maybe there'll be something newsworthy in the world of Tesla. That will, uh, that will bring us back together. Well, certainly- you know, they have,
1: they have, they have phony made-up earnings this week. They'll probably throw in a bunch of, recognize a bunch of, quote-unquote, full self-driving revenue for something that crashes into stopped police cars even again last week. And, I saw that. And, and runs traffic lights and stop signs. But, you know, as long as, as long as the government lets them get away with it. I mean, as you know, last week in court, Germany made them stop using autopilot. And I, I just saw that. today... That uh, South Korea is now about to challenge him in court, but our regulatory agencies—and look, I don't know how much of it is corruption, or you know, or you know, Musk having things on people—we sort of joke about that or half-joke about it. But you know, some of it is just—you know—Trump is so, uh, you know, so hands-off his administration on regulatory stuff. You know, that could be a big, a big part of this stuff too. But you know, let's, let's not have the agencies then. Cause what's the point? Let's save the, the tax. Right.
0: <laughs> That's a good point too. Right. Just, uh, yeah. hack them off completely. Yeah. Um, so
1: yeah, this was great. Thanks. Listen, I'm happy. You know, you, you call me up I'm, or DM me. I'm happy to come on anytime. This is always, I always have a great time on this show. So
0: no, I appreciate it very much. And there was one other point I wanted to make, but I can't remember what the hell it was. You just said something. It wasn't the guy. It wasn't the goal to M2 ratio. About
1: deregulatory was- or before that? Regulation?
0: No. Oh, it was about full self driving, and uh, I can't believe that they're still taking money on the pretense of full self driving. Every time I see, every time I see they talk about full self driving, all I can think about is the ladies' man. I don't know if you ever saw that movie where he's no. just like, he's just like, yeah, uh, my car uh, doesn't exist, and that line <laughs> always goes through my head. Like, yeah, that product uh, doesn't well, exist. so to be clear,
1: here's what they did. They they call a product full self-driving and capitalize the three words. Right. Okay. And then they define it on the website as, uh, and I haven't looked at the website lately, but this is what they were doing, you know, quote, ability to recognize traffic lights and, you know, eventually hands-off driving in the city or whatever. But, and then on the conference call, Musk said something like, and, you know, I'm paraphrasing, well, we're just going to define it as if it has a chance of working- it doesn't necessarily have to work all the time or even most of the time, but if there's a chance of it working, we're gonna call it feature complete. And I'm right. paraphrasing, but he's basically <laughs> saying is, you know, we're gonna recognize hundreds of millions of deferred revenue on, on the basis of something that's incredibly dangerous, obviously, being out there on the road. So he's capitalizing it. Now, there is, you know, for the same reason that the German court said, look, you can't call this autopilot. It implies something. Well, even, and then Musk, of course, said, well, you need a pilot on an airplane, but he puts it in autopilot, but the pilot still has to monitor it. And then, as, um, in in reply to that, as I think uh, the the Twitter character Lewis Carruthers, you know, or They're a Boot, I think his channel, I think he said, okay, now do full self driving. Like, how can somebody possibly misinterpret full self driving, you know, despite your capitalizing it and defining it with whatever bullshit explanation you want? How can that be interpreted as anything but full self-driving? The fact that he's able to get away with calling it that is amazing. What's also amazing is, look, I don't know what the take rate is. It's probably not that great anymore because enough people see through it. But it's still probably, I'll pull a number out of my ass, maybe a 20% take rate, you know, that people are paying eight grand for this or whatever it costs. How can there be that many morons willing to do this? He's been promising this, you know, for years and years and years. You know, they've already turned their cars back into the leasing company that never had it, and there are still idiots doing this. I mean, he, he has found a rare breed of of sucker, you know, with, with enough money to, you know, to put it in his pocket and, and keep his plane fueled and, and no, all that shit. Save, it is save the it planet, is.
0: Mark. You want to save the planet, you got to pay yeah. up, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, the whole thing is just people will write. Really, you could write a great – I think we've talked about this many times, but, you know, if you wrote this as a comedy movie, people would be like, well, that's funny, but that's too rollicking. Nobody would ever believe it. And and here it is, unfolding in real time, you know?
0: (laughs) All right, Spiegel. Thanks so much for your time today, brother. I really appreciate it. Let's do it again soon. Yeah, likewise. Thanks. Take care. All right, take care, buddy. That was the one, the only Mark Spiegel of Stanfield Capital. Glad to have him on. It's been a little while. Got a bunch of stuff lined up for uh, the next two weeks, actually. So looking forward to getting back after it in relatively short order. One more time, I want to thank my patrons again for supporting the podcast, even though, like I said earlier, some of you guys said you had to duck out. I understand completely, uh, but I appreciate you continuing to support, and I will talk to you guys next time. For right now, I'm out. Peace.